0: To Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm joined by Rob McManon. Rob is the founder of Bike Tour Japan. He's been running tours all over Japan for a number of years now. We have a chat about how he ended up in Japan and what makes Japan such a spectacular place to go ride your bike. Before we kick on, if you haven't yet, please do give us a rating for the podcast, leave a review tell your friends, spread the word. We'd really appreciate any help you can give us with that. And of course, as ever, download the Unbound app and join the global cycling community today. Enjoy the conversation. Rob, thank you very much for for joining us today. I've obviously introduced you prior. How are you doing? You well? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jules. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, surviving, surviving. But before we sort of get talking about all things Japan and cycling there, it'd be great to, to find out a little bit more about yourself and your background and, and how you ended up in, in Japan and, and setting up Bike Tour Japan.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know how far back to go exactly on this, but my background in cycling really started off with getting a 10 speed back when I was in college as a means of commuting between our two campuses. I was... Where, where was college. College was at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. Oh wow, very cool! Yeah, yeah, it was a music conservatory. So I'm a classical guitarist by uh, training, and um, it was a means of actually taking classes at the main university, the University of Rochester, which was maybe two, three miles away. Uh, and there was a nice bike path, and I figured rather than driving, I would try biking between the two campuses. And uh, yeah, so I picked up a ten speed at a garage sale, and kind of took off from there and it kind of stoked my interest in just riding further and further than just the bike path and that's what first got me really hooked on uh, on cycling so uh, fast forward a little bit I go uh, graduate college and when I graduated college kind of was at that point took cycling all the way to the point of joining the the bike team and uh, racing through college so I was racing and I decided that I would... Uh, put my energy into racing and moved down to Austin, Texas, uh, raced there yeah. for a season. And after that, uh, applied for some jobs teaching uh, music and saw this opportunity in Japan to teach abroad and uh, thought it looked like a really cool
0: opportunity. So that's what brought me over to Japan first. And and in terms of, let just go back to New York. I mean, what's the riding like in New York? I've obviously done a few work trips there and I'm sure a lot of people have been on holiday, but there's some good riding just outside the city, I understand. Yeah, I'm originally from upstate
1: New York. So quite a ways north in uh, Syracuse, which is about dead center of the state, if you were to drop a pin. And um, the riding in Syracuse, and then also Rochester, where I was at school is actually quite good. I think the temperature and the weather can be a bit miserable at times. It's very much like uh, England kind of weather where, you know, you get lots of cold rainy days or a lot of snow up there as well in the winter. But the... yeah, I was
0: surprised at just how cold it was when I went to, to New York in November. Uh, I mean, I was yeah. pretty warm. But I saw the temperatures, but it's not until you're there. It's like a, this dry it's a bit it's a bitter cold, isn't it? It chills you <laughs> to your bones.
1: Yeah, and it's always windy and like the wind chill just brings it down another ten degrees. So a bit warmer down in Austin, Texas. Oh yeah, that was uh, it, it's quite funny. I graduated in a four and a half year program, so I finished and graduated in December. Uh, had Christmas with the family and then promptly moved down to Austin uh, right after Christmas and uh, left just as a blizzard was coming in. And when I arrived, I was uh, hanging out with my friend on his porch and it must have been like 60 degrees and sunny. Very nice.
0: And what what kind of riding and racing were you you doing down there? Was it mainly road or? Yeah, um, it was road racing.
1: I joined a team there and uh, got up to, I don't know if you know the US category system. Yes. Yeah. So I ended up uh, racing there up to a three and then was trying to get my points to a two uh, and then this opportunity came up. So yeah, it was all road. Uh, Most I really preferred the road races, but they had a lot of crits down there as well. Yeah, a lot of fun. I love a good crit.
0: And so obviously, you decided to 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 move to Japan. Had you traveled much before? Had you been to Asia before? Had you been to Japan before?
1: Yes, no, no. I had traveled. <laughs> I had traveled in in college. I got a uh, what would you call? I got an Erasmus scholarship to go study in the UK actually for one oh, semester. Wow. Yeah, okay. it was at the. Do you know the uh, Royal College of Music in London?
0: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you ride when you were over here? you do much cycling? Oh,
1: just the Boris bikes.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very good.
1: Very yeah, good. yeah. No, I good took a Boris. Yeah, yeah. I I lived kind of on the north side of uh, Hyde Park um, with a family Lovely. in their kind of in law unit, and taught the kids music in exchange for my room and board. Yeah, and so I would rent the Boris bikes on the north side and ride it across Hyde Park to commute to school.
0: Um, but you hadn't been to, to Asia before Japan. No, yeah, never to Asia. So aside from England, I had only been domestic in the US. Well, I mean I mean I absolutely adore Japan. It's an incredible country, but quite a place to go to for your first time in Asia, I think.
1: Oh yeah. It was it was eye opening. The the first few weeks there it felt like you're on another planet.
0: Yeah. So were you in Tokyo? I mean, were you teaching as the what took you to Japan in the first place?
1: Yeah, it was the teachings. Member of, or what would you say? Sorry, an alumni of my school uh, started a program over here out in a farther away prefecture called Gunma, which is maybe like two prefectures from central Tokyo. And so he was expanding his program and they were looking for more teachers. So that was the job. And I was teaching okay. in like a middle school, high school setting. And when, yeah, when I came in though, I kind of went through Tokyo But the area I was in was much more uh, small town, uh, not necessarily like Real small town, but you know, like a smaller city style living.
0: Yeah. Is it a commuter town? Do people commute into Tokyo from there?
1: Yeah, there's an express train that's about an hour 10 direct to the center of Tokyo. So there are commuters. Wow. Uh, most of them are kind of people that I think are looking
0: to retire out that way. And that's yeah. where you are now, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I'm actually one city over, but the same prefecture. And how did, how did you, did you start cycling there straight away or how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I... Uh, so, when I flew over, I boxed up my race bike at the time I had a cervello uh, s five and i would right. so I put the thing in a cardboard box, and it was basically like my only luggage other my other than my backpack flying over some of the teachers Not saw even always, the guitar <laughs> no i that's because uh the school said they were gonna um they had guitars and they were gonna they were starting like kind of a guitar program, so they were going to purchase more, so I kind of was gonna be gifted
0: one to use essentially so I love how the bike took priority <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I should have seen that as a warning sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So sorry, I interjected, carry on. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I flew over with the bike and uh, when I first was moving here, at the time I was using you know Strava to record my rides and all. And uh, so I thought, oh, I'll go on Strava and go look at what's around me, what's gonna be around this place. And I immediately noticed there were just these huge climbs in the area and thought, right, I gotta go tackle one of these each weekend. And so it kind of, every free moment I had, would try to go out on some bike adventure.
0: And did you get into a, did you do any racing? Is there, I mean, is there a racing scene? How Hmm. how does it work? Yeah, there is a racing scene. I did, uh, I did
1: two races
0: while I was here. um,
1: One on a bike, one running. They have hill climbs. Those are really, really popular here. And they do them like pretty large hill climbs. We're talking like a thousand meter gain, you know, up mountains. And they oh, do wow. a mass start style. Okay. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. So like the, the Japanese national team like sent out a bunch of people and, you know, they're like leading the front of the group and there's probably 4,000 people with you. And uh, so oh, that, wow. I did really? one of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's massive. So that was good fun. Um, I do know there's a race scene here, but I was never really into that uh, with the full-time job and just kind of more
0: exploring. But certainly cycling is, is definitely part of the culture there. So it's quite a big cycling community, certainly the bits of Japan I've been to. Yeah. And really cycling is something that it
1: seems like everyone grew up with here too. Like especially out here in the more countryside areas, everybody's riding a bike as a kid um, for middle school and high school to commute so they're really conscious of having cyclists around them.
0: And would you say that the, the cars are aware, more aware of cyclists because of that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a factor of it. Um, they're very safe drivers here. Uh, they tend to prioritize safety as a culture a lot. But I think especially the fact that they're used to seeing so many kids out there. And I mean, even people commuting to work, you'll see it in Tokyo a lot as well. So I do find they're really safe around cyclists.
0: And I've understand obviously seen the roads are absolutely immaculate, aren't they? Superb quality of of roads. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I've I've certainly pondered why it is that they're that nice. I mean, I get asked that quite a bit. And especially out here, we'll be in these tiny forest roads where you won't see a car for hours and you'll be thinking, how is this pavement so good? And my only logical conclusion is that their standard for the pavement is so high for all their roads and just no one drives on them with anything heavy. I mean, they have these little cars here uh, that most people are driving out in the countryside that can't weigh a quarter of what an American car would weigh. So it's not doing nearly the damage, is my guess.
0: Uh, so they haven't got the, yeah, the match of traffic. But they, the, the weather is pretty extreme, right? So they do get the ex- extreme winters, but they seem to fare so much better, the, the, the road quality or the road surface. Yeah, that's a really good point. We do get I mean, we just had snow up in our mountains
1: again this last weekend. Um, You know, you could be mid April, and you're still getting snow in the mountains at only like a 1000 meters above sea. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yet, actually, we had we had snow last month out of in March. And we're only at 550 meters above sea here where we live. Oh. Yeah, but I, I agree. I don't I don't actually know why it is that they're able to withstand the weather because they also get torrential rain during the summer.
0: Yeah, exactly. Anyway, they seem to have mm. sussed that pretty well. And and I understand that there's this amazing network of bike paths in Japan as well. Is there, do, they, do they have mm. them around where you are or have you have you explored any of those? Yeah,
1: yeah. We there's kind of an it's it's really incredible the bike paths here. Um especially for kind of people who just want to go for long steady rides um we are right on what's called the Watarase River. And um, that's about 10 kilometers north of the Tone River. And both of those start in basically at our town here, Kiryu in Gunma. And uh, they head all the way out to the ocean, uh, some 200 kilometers away or so. You can go all the way to the ocean. That's not... Oh, yeah. It, yeah, nonstop to the ocean. Um, you know, you might have to occasionally cross a road. But most of the time, there's underpasses for the roads too. And it's just like, a cycling path all the way along the river that's amazing i'm very envious of that
0: indeed so you mentioned the weather there i mean in terms of times of year to to come to japan or what, what are the sort of best times to come
1: yeah it's it's a really large country has like Uh, You know, uh, way up in the north, we've got Hokkaido. Way down south, you've got like Okinawa. So there's definitely different times for different places. But on the mainland of Honshu, Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, all of those areas, you're really looking at wanting to come, in my opinion, to cycle in the spring and the fall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Summer's too hot there. Too hot. Humidity is really the problem. And then when it's not hot and humid,
0: it's probably raining really hard. Okay. So it's the wet season. Okay. Fair enough. And during the summer period, are there other parts of japan that are are better to to cycle yeah summer is
1: the prime time to be in hokkaido uh way up north there Mm -hmm. or aomori which is like the north tip of the main island so if we're talking like months whereas the us or the uk might be saying that summer could be like july june july august maybe september that's about right for hokkaido but around here in the main island our spring really is like mid-march to mid-june And then our fall is like mid-September to actually December. Like you can ride here to the end of December and it's still really sunny. Highs will be 10 to 15 Celsius, low of zero maybe. Okay, that's perfect.
0: And with regards to Hokkaido, have you done much cycling up
1: there yourself? No, I haven't done much myself yet. Uh, We've got some trips lined up in the books to do that. And um, one of our guides is actually uh, really big in Hokkaido because he also does backcountry guiding up there. So he's kind of been our point of contact yeah he guides uh like backcountry ski and snowboarding
0: okay cool yeah so, so talk me through those trips then what what can so, what someone expect how long are they for or do you tailor them or do you do both you have tailored trips as well as sort of group trips that people can join how, how does it work with with uh, bike tour japan
1: yeah we have a uh, group trips as well as bespoke trips that we do our group trips are typically in the seven to eight day range and uh, it's a set itinerary it's kind of our best uh our top recommendations of each area and we kind of work our way in the spring from the south up to the north and then in the fall from the north down to the south you know try to follow the weather and uh it's basically chasing the cherry blossoms and the spring blossoms all the way up and then chasing the fall foliage all the way down and then yeah.
0: typically what what does a what does a tour normally consist of i mean i think and this is this is something that um i wanted to bring up with you cuz it's something that that I'm a strong believer in as well I mean there's obviously some incredible cycling to do but one of the wonderful things about Japan is just it's it's such a unique country and has so much to offer from food to just the culture and, and some of the things you can see there so it's more about creating an all-round experience but for someone that's coming from the US or, or from the UK or Australia or Europe or, or within Asia itself what can one expect on a on a trip that's a different to maybe someone going somewhere else so
1: yeah definitely yeah aside from the great cycling here um some of the amazing things we think japan has that really aren't on offer in other places are the hot spring culture uh and the hotels around that the traditional hotels here uh which are kind of their own world they call them ryokan inns here and then like it, non, just not like an onsen no ah uh, not like an onsen so yeah so like onsen literally is like the hot It's like a natural hot water source, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the onsen could be within a ryokan. And a ryokan is traditionally, it's just translating to like a traveler's inn. But it's really this old culture of of basically really traditional style stay in Japan. Typically, you're staying on tatami floors. The buildings are going to be very traditionally made. Um, They'll have a kaiseki meal uh, which is basically a multi-course Japanese meal for breakfasts and dinners there and
0: Uh, and does that vary wherever you're in the country you are yeah quite a bit yeah
1: yeah so like in for example up where we are in uh, the mountains here we're talking lots of dishes that are made especially in the fall you got lots of mushrooms and persimmons you've got um, local river fish and uh, fresh rice has just been harvested at that time and if we're down in, wow. let's say, the Setouchi the inland sea down in the south near Hiroshima, where we do trips, uh, we'd be talking lots of fresh fish down there, uh, octopus. We're talking like uh, they're really big on citrus. Uh, that area grows most of the citrus for Japan. So lemons and oranges oh, wow. and
0: all that. Yeah, super different. It's such a diverse country, isn't it? I think it's, sometimes, it's so easy. I mean, I've been there a few times and it's even for me, it's easy to forget just the, the breadth of diversity on offer within the country.
1: Oh, certainly. And just... I find a lot of people uh, have an image of Japan as this bustling metropolis, and that's like the only thing it is, you know, like Tokyo or Osaka. But uh, 80% of the country is uninhabitable wilderness. So we like to go explore out there and see kind of, you know, what else is out there.
0: And in terms of the the climbing, um, there's some pretty iconic climbs as well, isn't isn't there, throughout the country that have become pretty synonymous with cycling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've ridden in Europe a bit and done, you know, Stelvio and Alpe Duez and some of the classics out there. And you can really find uh, comparable and really amazing climbs here that go up to similar elevations, have similar or even more gain than a lot of the Alps. Um, people really? kind of think of Japan as having one big mountain that's Mount Fuji. But actually, there's hundreds of volcanoes in Japan, and many of them are well over 2000 meters high and start at basically sea level wow yeah so this yeah.
0: is all, all completely new to me i should probably have done more homework um, and <laughs> most of your trips sort of evolve around climbing or mm. well, um,
1: we, have, yeah. we have trips at five different levels level one being right. the easiest level five being the hardest certainly the fours and fives are revolving heavily around climbing but our level yeah. two trips for example uh like our one down in the inland sea is uh, quite a flat course. Most of the climbs are just going up to bridges or you know small hills on the islands. So we kind of have the full diversity of it, and uh, we find that even with our self-guided trips, for example, even in the, a region that's very mountainous, there's enough river valleys that you can ride. That we can kind of create these easier courses as well.
0: Okay, cool. So really, you cater for uh, the whole range of abilities in terms of from people that just want to get out and and see a bit of Japan because you know there's no better way to see the world than by by bike, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure you're a big believer of that as well. But you know, typically, what what kind of groups are, are you getting through, or is it that whole scope? Uh yeah, we we tend to get quite
1: the scope. I would say. A good half of our trips fall into the kind of categories one, two, three, and then the other half fall into the four, five category. The one, two, threes are definitely a more, a much more casual pace. Uh, probably you're not on Strava, or if you are, you know, you just use it to record your things. The four, fives, you're probably like, you know, looking up how big is the climb and like, you know, trying to get a time up some of the segments. Sometimes uh, can get a yeah. bit competitive at the level fives at times at least for the first yeah. day or two before people
0: wear themselves out. But there's enough, there's enough there that if, you know, r- race teams wanted to come and do like training camps and stuff like that, you could, cater oh, for that. yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of absurd
1: how much climbing you can do here. Like uh, I have one route that I still haven't, I've put it down and I've, you know, cut out the day to do it a couple times, but, it you know within two hundred kilometers you could get six thousand meters of climbing if you wanted. Oh wow! Yeah, Pliny. just oh, and that's that's round where you are. Oh yeah, that's just playing in the the foothills of the North Alps here with us and our
0: volcanoes around here. And and how far? You're an hour. There's a quick train out. You said from Tokyo, an hour out to you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so uh, we typically start out here in one of three towns, Ashikaga, Ota, or Kiryu. Uh, We live in Kiryu, and that's the farthest of the three. So our train takes about an hour and a half to us, but it's about an hour or an hour ten to Ashikaga or Ota.
0: Okay, cool. And and traveling with, with bikes, people can get, I mean, how close is that from, they'll need to get in from the airport and then out again?
1: Yeah, so it's really convenient here to travel with a bike, actually, especially coming in for a trip, because what you can do is from the airport, you can literally drop your bike off at the, uh, there'll be like a post, um, what would you call it, like a service counter. And you can just bring it over and for about 4,000 yen or about 40 US dollars, have it shipped to wherever you're uh, going and it'll arrive there the next day. So a lot of our guests will just fly in with their bike and ship it to us. We'll assemble it and then it's ready to go for your trip.
0: That's, hang on. So, so they'll do that at the
1: airport. There's a service that does that. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. It like people it blows people's minds. You can ship
0: all your yeah. luggage. They call it hands-free Japan. It's <laughs> amazing. I love Japan. That's yeah. brilliant. Can you will you give me the link so we can put that in the show notes? Oh, definitely. Find yeah. Find that. So given it's that easy, I mean, obviously I, I think you mentioned before that, that m- most your guests are from from the us or europe or australia but it, it's doable for a long weekend as well right oh definitely yeah
1: we've, we've had a couple guests from asia and um australia definitely come in for that from australia for a long weekend yeah yeah um we're talking four days you know so they might fly in uh one i've actually picked people up at about two in the morning before so that they could sleep on the car ride out uh from the airport get into the hotel, check in. And then we started riding the next day at like nine. Yeah. And
0: I think one, one of the things is that sometimes there's a bit of intimidation around Japan or going to Japan just in terms of it being so different. And it doesn't necessarily spring to mind as a, as a first place to think about for cycling, which is strange given how amazing the cycling is there. What, what would you say to people that, that are thinking about wanting to go somewhere a little bit different on a cycling holiday that, that, that wanna get something more from their trip? And have either come across this podcast or come across yourselves. Why, why Japan? Why is it not intimidating and why is it worth exploring or looking into further? Yeah, well, the why come here, I think, is I mean, we've kind of gone over some some
1: of the points already, but really the cycling is in my opinion, second to none. I mean, the the roads are amazing. The scenery is just gorgeous around every corner. And the routes are kind of like these endless mix of valleys, volcanoes, oceanside views. It's kind of got the whole gamut to it. In terms of what's offered here that kind of isn't in other places. Uh, again, I think one of the really interesting pieces to it, because again, it's, it's not just about the riding, it's about the full experience yeah. um, and the experience at the Rio Cons and the experience of kind of the food cultures out here, especially out more in the countryside. It's a lot more traditional yeah. living. It's a lot more uh, kind of, how would you say uh, I hate to use the word authentic. It's so overused in our, uh, in our industry, but um, yes. <laughs> you know, it's a better, but better it is word. But it is, it's authentic, you know. Um, For example, our our prefecture, Gunma here, and the neighboring one, Tochigi, where we do a lot of our trips, there's almost no English speakers out here. Like, there are so few, and they're so kind of disconnected from Tokyo, it really feels like you're stepping into the real Japan, Um, not this kind of tourist-centric, you know, kind of bubble that can often be the case of modern travel.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. But I also think that's one of the things that that scares people about Japan, right? Mm. The fact that you can't read anything, you can't understand anything. What would you say to people that are a little bit put off about going to Japan? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely that? that's definitely a concern
1: we get a lot with guests uh, before they arrive. And I'll tell you the first thing they tell us after they've spent two or three days in Tokyo and then came out to meet us, they go, "I can't believe how easy it was to get around Tokyo." Yeah. yeah. So the cities are certainly—they've modernized them in terms of putting English on the signs. The subways are very easy to follow now, um, as well as uh, like Google Maps. Now will completely tell you not only which platform to go to, color-coded and all in English, but it also even yeah. tell you which train car you need to go into to make your transfer yeah, yeah, yeah. successfully. So um, it's
0: unbelievable. The transfer system is—it's—it's it, it's hard to articulate just how amazing it is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> unless you. Been on it and experienced it. It is, it is, it's worth going like, just for that.
1: <laughs> it's it's so reliable that um, yeah. <laughs> one time I rode I rode out to uh, in the West Alps, the highest mountain in Japan, or the highest road you can ride is called Mount Norikura, which we do in all of our level five trips, and uh, okay. <laughs> it's it's at two thousand seven hundred meters uh, at the peak, and wow. you start in a valley at about five hundred meters or so, uh, fifty kilometer mm. climb, and what, uh, what was it
0: called again? What was yeah, the name of the...
1: Mount Norikura. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely, I'll send over some info on it. But basically, it's it's about a 2,200 meter gain over 50k. And the best part of the climb is it's a national park starting at about 15 kilometers to the top. And that section, they don't allow cars on. So yo, it's it's amazing. Like you literally pass about one I think it's one thousand eight hundred meters. There's a marker, there's a gate with a guy, and he won't let any cars pass except the bus that comes every hour. It's a tallest road the whole way up. Yeah. So when I when I first moved here, I was just like so enamored with trying to get over there and ride that. So every like long three-day weekend I would get, I would make a plan to go over there. And uh so I rode over one weekend and I Uh, I stayed there, went and did some different other routes around the area. And the following day on Monday, I had to work, right? So I was staying in this hotel that was about halfway up the mountain, maybe like 1500 meters up the mountain. And at like four in the morning with my headlamp on, rode down the mountain to the train station, hopped on the bullet train. Now, mind you, I'm 300 kilometers or so from my house, Um, hopped on the bullet train at 6 a.m., Got myself over to our main bullet train station, transferred, took my local train over, rode to my house, hopped in the shower and made it to work at 8am. No way. I go in and tell that, the students, "I'm yeah, I'm just like, hey, guess where your teacher was this morning? They go, oh, your bed, your house. I'm like, no, it's over <laughs> Mount Norikura in Nagano.
0: 300 kilometers away. That's yeah. amazing. What, and I'm like, that's phenomenal. because of
1: your transit
0: system. <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, I mean, obviously we, we digressed a little bit, but mm. how long were you teaching before, before you set up, um, bike tour Japan? Mm, yeah. Um, right. so I was teaching for one year here in, uh, in Ota in Gunma. Yeah. yeah. And and then it was, you, you know, during that year you were like, right, I've got to set this up. How, what?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Kind up? of.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed the teaching,
1: but I was kind of finding it wasn't the right position for me. Kind okay. of wasn't the right like role that I was looking for. And funnily enough, I when the teaching position ended, I had kind of had it in my mind to. I've always wanted to go to Italy to ride there. As I got into cycling, I was like, "You got to go ride the classics in Italy and France and all that." And a friend of mine put me on to this uh, this kind of. Uh, have you ever heard of an au pair?
0: An au pair. Talk me through it. Give me more, more context. Yeah,
1: it's it's like a French term, I guess, but it means someone who like lives with a family and as a language. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, like yeah, 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 yeah. 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 definitely totally <laughs> um, so anyway so i when the teaching gig ended their their year here by the way is april to april uh, they believe that the year begins kind of with the spring in japan um, oh, I so didn't yeah the yeah school year so,
0: april to april exactly or calendar year. Or um year. all of it Sc- school calendar business yeah i knew business was i didn't know that their actual year was april to april how interesting so do they have like a, a japanese new year they do and they also
1: have the chinese new year and they also have the american or the western new year brilliant three
0: three to three excuses to celebrate
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there's actually a lot of Japanese holidays for the kids at least uh they've got kind of an incredible schedule
0: no I didn't know yeah. there's I I didn't know there's a Japanese new year as well so okay so you, you finish up in April in the April uh, yes
1: yeah, so I finished up in April and then um a friend wanted to go to China so we decided we were going to uh go hike a little bit backpack in China for the month of What have that been? Like mid-May or so. And then, um, yeah, I basically did the, uh, no, that was all hiking. No.
0: Okay. Whereabouts were you? Yeah.
1: All over. We did the kind of like, we we flew into Shanghai and then we took a bus to, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting, Nanjing next to it. Went to the Yellow Mountains, flew over to um, Chengdu where the pandas are um yeah. and then went down to Guangzhou and kind of all the kind of the the classic sites of uh country the country yeah.
0: there's actually yep. some amazing cycling in China by the way
1: I've been hearing um,
0: yeah yeah it's, it's, it's insane um Shannon Bufton who who set up mm. cycling we'll have to get him you guys together or we'll connect get him on the podcast soon but yeah we I went and did some cycling with him and just unbelievable roads and super friendly people and real another really good experience place to go and cycle and um, yeah
1: we had we had some guests who came in from beijing and uh they were showing me some of the uh photos of their riding just on the outskirts of beijing i guess to like an hour or two out and i was yeah. like wow that's not what i expected I know, at all
0: it's so weird it's the weirdest thing you can land there and and sort of an hour's drive out and you've just got like deserted roads and and similarly i think the the road qualities are are out there are again like you have in japan absolutely immaculate predominantly because mm. there are just no cars um where they built yeah. these roads but yeah fantastic cycling yeah. very good um so yeah so you, you did you did some hiking in china and then headed off to europe
1: yeah, yeah for for about a month in china and then yeah headed off to europe uh to spend the summer with the family in italy doing the au Pair thing and then basically just every day was kind of a repeat i would wake up uh oh the, uh, we were living on the Northwest corner of Turin in a small town okay. there that was right against the mountains, basically. So, yeah, it was just like a dream. Like, I would wake up in the morning at, you know, the uh, sunrise. I would get out on the bike, go ride for six hours in the Alps, basically, come back in, take a shower, uh, have a huge Italian lunch with the family and the kids and grandma and grandpa, and, you know, practice my Italian and everything, take a massive nap and then wake up and teach the kids for like
0: 3 hours. That is amazing. So you were teaching them music, were you? Actually English and music. Yeah. English and music. Yeah, very right. cool. That sounds like a pretty good trade. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was it was good fun. They even uh they were a really outdoorsy family, which was super awesome. I still keep in touch with them and they uh father and mother kind of had these alternating schedules so they could basically have days with the kids during the summer and they would always want to go out and have picnics out in the mountains because the father was actually from a mountain town like way out on the french border and so okay. uh they would be like oh we're gonna go out and have a picnic out there and i'd just be like great i'll ride out and meet you and you gotta uh, the kids were like seven nine and ten and they'd, their jaws would just drop they'd be like you're gonna ride all the way out to there and
0: <laughs> Yeah. what's the matter with you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then I show up, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, you were serious." After after about a month, they just started realizing it was normal. So, how long were you in Italy for? Uh, I it was just under three months, probably two and a half or so. And that kind of ignited and that kind the of flame yeah it was then i I get back to the states and i was just like immediately missing riding in japan I'm like right i gotta find a way to get back there and that kind of got everything oh, going right,
0: sorry i missed that so you went to japan just for a year it was a year contract to teach was it so yeah. you actually officially sort of left okay got you so you got went back to the us back to new york and were like right i need to go back to japan yep Japan does this to you, right? It does. It really does. <laughs> yeah, I have many friends who had similar. So, so that's where you started planning. So, did you did you start planning bike tour Japan? For- from the U S and then made the move or went out and then how did it work?
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it worked. Um, we started off just doing falls. So it was very seasonal. The original uh, schedule we had was basically just through September to December each year. And, uh, Mm -hmm. two years ago we added in the spring season as well.
0: So, so you're a few years into this now, five years into it, six, six years into it. Oh,
1: this will be our, this is our fourth year.
0: Fourth year into it. Okay, cool. And and are you based in Japan permanently now? You're, you're over there year, year through? Yeah, most of the year. Most of
1: the year here, um, we do duck out a little bit during the uh, summer to avoid some of the heat, and then we duck out yeah. a little in the winter, uh, just to get some riding in, kind of as it gets to the colder
0: months. And uh, I mean, can you can you ski around where you live?
1: Yeah, uh, we actually can, yeah. and it's it's really good skiing here too. That's the other thing people don't realize about Japan is it's fantastic skiing. The weather is like perfect here because it just snows, snows, snows on the mountains. And yet where we yeah. live, we have a sunny winter, like probably five days of precipitation per month in the winter. So we're just getting this huge sun here. It'll probably be like 10 degrees at our house every day for the high, zero for the low. But then you can go drive yeah. out an hour into the mountains and it'll just be like immaculate ski conditions. Amazing.
0: I love that. And there must be some times of the year. I love the idea of having ski and cycle days.
1: Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. We, yeah. 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 We've done that a couple of times on trips with people. It's, it's crazy. I mean, this year has been a a not great year for skiing. It was kind of all over the place with too much warm days in the winter, but it's not uncommon to ski here well into like May. Quite a long season, actually.
0: I didn't realize that. It was just kind of cool. And in terms of people, people sort of listening, we sort of touched upon some of the reasons why Japan is so good, but, but tell us about where your business is now, the people you got working for you, what, what can you offer? And, talk about the you know tell us a little bit more about bike tour Japan in terms of what you are offering or what's in the diary or what what can be in the diary and and who have you got working with you now because I see there's a few of you you've been sort of growing over the last few years yeah usually in our uh,
1: in our calendar uh, we have kind of a set uh, one of each of our trips going uh, in the spring and then in the fall uh, we kind of modify the trips to follow the seasons which is kind of the thing they do here in Japan everything follows the seasons really strongly so We try to do the same. So in the spring, we're going to kind of go between uh, cherry blossoms, flower parks, try to do those types of things uh, for a lot of our activities. Whereas in the fall, we've got a lot of fall foliage, got things like sake is um, starting to be made towards the end of the fall. You've got things like the rice harvests and all of that. So there's a little more focus on those things.
0: There's a lot to do off the bike as well, so you can do, you know, go do six, five six hours on the bike and then go explore. I don't know how sake is made. How sake is made? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can go explore how sake is made. Yeah, yeah, from um, yeah. rice. Yeah. Um, cool. as, there's, there's, yeah, there's other stuff to do as well. There's lots of other additional things.
1: Totally, yeah. And um, one of the other things that I didn't even touch on yet is the the shrines. Just getting to see and experience Japan's got both the Shintoism and Buddhism, and the contrast you see of those two cultures uh kind of intermingling within the countryside here is really fascinating too
0: okay so uh, talk me through the give me a very quick plotted history in terms of buddhism and shintoism and timelines and what's
1: yeah okay um i'm not I'm I'm by no means, you know, a theologist on this, but the kind of, you know, quick notes on it would be Buddhism coming over from India, and then eventually through China and such comes over in about 600 or so through Confucianism originally, but then kind of modifies. Again, you can check my facts on this, but rough, rough sketch. Whereas um, Shintoism is the uh, kind of Japanese based religion. It's kind of only found in Japan and they kind of diverge really strongly on the idea of gods basically. Yeah. So whereas Buddhism is kind of about Buddha, right? Uh, The classic about Buddha and his teachings and all of that kind of a way of life around that. Um, Shintoism is really a kind of more of a spirits is a way that people describe it. Okay. And the, the kind of fascinating thing I see about that is that it's so seeped into kind of like the way that people, even talk in Japan, there's actually two different verbs for things to exist. Like instead of saying like, uh, you know, Rob is here. There's a different is for a living thing and an inanimate object.
0: Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And how do you see that, the difference portrayed in some of the shrines? Mm,
1: yeah. So yeah. typically, when you see the shrines, a Buddhist shrine here is going to be very red. The building will be painted quite red, lots of gold ornate inside. There's going to be many objects and yeah. probably a shrine of a Buddha. And then Shintoism is really. Interesting because it tends to be empty. Uh, The shrine is made of uh, very natural woods, uh, lots of whites and browns are the color scheme and uh architecturally they tend to look quite different uh it, the shinto shrine is the one you typically think of when you think japan because yeah, okay. it's very distinct yeah and yeah it's it's a very different experience at the two shrines in my opinion some of my favorite shrines here are shinto shrines where they don't really get rid of the nature around it they try to build it within the nature because okay. it's it's, it's a shrine there. yeah it's a shrine too the spirit of the nature so for example like our local volcano here mount akagi the shrine is built in the heart of the forest and they kind of tried to like not remove too much of the forest uh so it it gives it a very
0: like uh natural feeling fantastic and that that local volcano you can see on our website under rides can't can't they yeah people want to check it out some of the photos look incredible and there's a good description there oh that's that that's amazing and I think that these are all the things I mean I've done Kyoto Kyoto is amazing city isn't it just some Mm -hmm. of the the shrines and temples there absolutely spectacular place and um, yeah and another city actually with a huge cycling culture just for commuting and getting around Kyoto is amazing at that isn't it yeah, yeah yeah definitely
1: Kyoto is a really great place to hop on a bike and get around the town see the sights I, I lost a trail of
0: thought there because I ah. interjected with the with the shrines and bit but <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah uh, no worries but yeah so um, come uh, you were saying kind of with like riding with us yeah I'm just trying to get make sure that people get a good sense of they can get out of it because having been in Asia and not gone to Japan and then finally got myself to Japan it's so hard to articulate just what what is on offer there so we obviously talked that they're cycling for every ability so in terms of the, the time of year is kind of key not only to in terms mm. of geography, but in terms of what's on offer with regards to blossom or the full leaves. Yeah. yeah. What about what about other things? I mean, did you have stuff planned for the Olympics? Will you do stuff for the Olympics next year? Yeah. Or what's there? Yeah, we
1: have we have things planned for the Olympics. So if people are interested in coming, um, definitely shoot us a message. Uh, we're doing mostly private trips during the Olympics period. So if yeah. you have a group that wants to go, or even just a couple, we're taking requests for that period. What we're really trying to do for the Olympics is because of what happens in Japan on a holiday would. Normally here, holidays, everyone has the holiday. So if you can imagine you've got a country of 130 million people and they all have a yeah. holiday, it can congest yeah. roads pretty fast. So yeah. what we're doing is we're taking people out and during the Olympics period to places that are really off the beaten path that we know are not going to be congested. That we know yeah. are still incredible places to ride, have incredible accommodations all of the things you'd want out of the experience, but we know we're going to get good riding in rather than being in bumper to bumper traffic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just trying to maximize um, opportunities. Good. And in terms of yourself, what are your favorite three climbs in Japan? Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. All right. Favorite
1: three. One of them has to be Norikura. It's a I mean, there, I've ridden a lot of the passes in the Alps, uh, like Izzaran, uh Isard, like Stelvio, like yeah. a lot of the higher passes there. And one of the things that kind of always got me about riding there was that you'd have so many sports cars and motorcycles zipping by you as you're riding them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you watch them on the TV and it's, it's amazing to watch the racers go up it because it's just, you know, just bikes on it. But rarely do you get that chance unless you sign up for like certain fondos and things that might uh, accommodate But out here, when you climb uh, Norikura, it's always like that. There are no cars. So you get in like a car-free last 15K of the climb up the highest road in Japan. So that's definitely one of them. Probably my second favorite. I shouldn't say, I don't know. They're all kind of for different reasons. Our, Our local volcano, Mount Akagi, here is just, it's so much fun to climb. It's got 100 turns to the top, and most of those are switchbacks. And uh, it's on a tiny back road that the cars are never on because there's a main road they can take up. And when you get to the top, you get to dive into a caldera. It opens up. You can see the Alps behind you as you're coming in. You've got a huge uh, caldera lake with a shrine at the top of it that just like sits right in the middle of the lake. Uh, You get to take a lap around the lake. And then as you come down, you can come down on the main road, which is just pristine pavement, two wide lanes, and you just like fly down the mountain wow it's like the perfect combination because you can avoid all the cars on the way up and then you can go faster than them on the way down <laughs> yeah um and then and the yeah, number, number three this is kind of one that so i'll give it, this is one of our favorites in the area that actually doesn't make it onto maps. Um, a lot of the maps in the, you won't even have this pass. Uh, it's called the Sakuhara Pass or the Ushitoge. Um, I'll send you. Happy to send you a, a, some info on that. But um, yeah,
0: basically, is that a, that's a the, bike path or is it a road or is just sort of
1: uh, no one knows about it? Yeah, it's a road that is yet to be put on prefectural maps. Strava wow. has sort of figured it out because of heat maps, but it doesn't show it. You have to go into heat maps to even notice that it's there and. It's very, very, very rarely driven, only like the rare local would know it. Uh, I just went and did it last week, and it's a 1,000-meter climb from 200 meters, so you end up at 1,200, you start at 200, and got to the top of it, rode down the other side of it, and I was out for just that portion of the ride for probably three hours, maybe an hour and a half up, hour down or something, and uh, some time to hang out at the top, and uh, didn't see a single car the whole
0: time. Uh, and that's just in our backyard. That's super yeah cool. And what about your favorite hotel? I can't remember what they're called now. Mm, Riocon, Ryokan. Ryocan. Rio yeah. Favorite
1: Personally, my favorite in our area. Hmm, it's tough because they, they, they have different, you know, things that you can like them for. Some are very mom pop, other ones are kind of more like uh very traditional styled and you know, kind of have all the aesthetic you would want. Other ones just have an amazing bath. You know, when you get done with a good ride and you get to hop in this beautiful stone bath with all your mates and, like, just soak yeah. in, like, a hot tub after the ride and just, you know, relax there. Yeah, let's see. Probably, we have this one that's one that's in our area that's called Yamaya. And they're really, really awesome because they've got kind of two options there. They've got kind of the traditional rooms, but they also have these, like, cottage-style rooms. They have their own uh, baths in each one as well. And cool. each room is unique. So... No guest gets the same room, and it's kind of a cool, just a cool atmosphere. They've got this, these gardens around the whole thing, and everyone's kind of got their own ones, but then you get to reconvene in this big, like, dining room for dinner still.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're super chilled out, these places as well. No, it's a very relaxing vibe.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Japanese really know how to, like, create a relaxing, peaceful environment, uh, which is just perfect after
0: a long, hard day of riding to just get in and chill out and then on to food what, what are your favorite three favorite japanese dishes <laughs> that, that someone must try oh uh, okay must try okay my favorite dishes some of these are gonna be a little out
1: there uh seasonally in the fall number one dish hands down is the uh matsutake soup so matsutake sure. means uh it's a type of uh, mushroom it's kind of like mushroom, the yeah yeah the- yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the porcini of Japan, like it is like the most prized mushroom, it's it's rare to grow, it's hard to find, you know, and they make this amazing soup out of it, which is just a simple mushroom broth with this like local, uh, it's like a small lime that they squeeze into it. And okay. they'll have it all through the fall season in our area at all the cons. And you'll have these these dishes of like uh, you know all these awesome things like sashimis and different vegetables and things. But then whenever you get to the matsutake soup, it's just like the most to me. It's like quintessential Japanese cooking. It's simple yet extremely good flavor. Yeah, 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 that's Japanese cooking in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, love it. Other For other kids. two, um, I'd be remiss to not say rice. Having lived in Japan so long, it's funny how. Yeah. Much when you first move to, I don't know, maybe all of Asia, but especially Japan, people talk about rice so much and they're like, oh my gosh, the rice. And, and you're thinking, it's, it's just rice. Like, I don't know, from the US, like yeah, rice yeah. is just this thing on the side of my dish. But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a means of mopping up my other things. But uh, yeah. here it's, it's a whole nother level. And every time I go to other countries and especially back to the US and have rice, I just go, yeah, it really is better there. Yeah, this is improper rice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. The longer, when I first moved here, people would talk about the textures be like, oh, this rice is so bouncy and chewy. And you know, it's just got this like this nice, like teethiness to it. And I'm just going, what what are you on? Like, how are you getting this? And I've come yeah. to, I've come to appreciate it over the years more and more. And the third you know. one, third
0: one, tempura, Japanese eggplant. Oh, I love it. Oh, a big favorite so of mine. So yeah. Good. So good especially when it's done so lightly and then yeah. last one drinks beer whiskey or sake what's your Japanese uh, favorite? uh for me it's sake
1: um our area is yeah. big on sake and yeah it's it's so i love I, I used to uh do some some touring in the wine country area of uh, napa sonoma and when i was doing that they would talk about the terroir right have you heard that term no i haven't Tell me, what's that terroir is basically french for like terrain or like earth so okay, basically yeah, they're yeah, saying yeah. like the soil it's grown in. Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so you'd be like, Oh, this has earthy notes. This has, Oh, ha- you can really taste the terroir you'd hear. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I, I've, I find it funny, but at the same time, I kind of appreciate it in sake. Like I, some of my friends are into sake, and you know, when we travel to different places, we'll buy a bottle from the prefecture, from the mountain we visited, and then we'll try it. And you're like, oh yeah, this really does have a different flavor. I mean, just one mountain over, you know, can have a completely different flavor to it because of all the minerals in the area.
0: There's quite a big sake market, is there? I mean, there's there's this connoisseur sake connoisseurs like like wine. It's, it's quite a big thing.
1: Yeah. I think it's growing yeah. internationally more, but in terms yeah. of locally it's definitely got its market here you can get You can get sake just like in europe it's like you know buying a bottle of wine in, uh, in Italy can be as cheap as like uh, two euros and as much yeah. as you want to spend and it's the same here. Yeah. You can go to any convenience store and buy like a, a three dollar three hundred yen bottle of sake or you can go and spend you know thousands of dollars if you want.
0: I think it was probably probably there or thereabouts now, but it'd be great to get some some links. To some of the tours you do, and also some videos. I know you've been doing a lot of putting a lot of yeah. videos together, just so that everyone can see. And if anyone's got any questions, just to to reach out to you directly is probably the best thing.
1: Yeah, definitely reach out directly, um, or just go on our website BiketourJapanSingleTour.com and yep. we have a contact form in there that'll just go straight to us, and uh, we'd be happy to chat about that. And yeah, my uh, okay. uh, uh, as for the videos, I've recently started a vlog. It's under Rindo Rob. Uh, again, Rindo is the word in Japanese for Forest Road. That's kind of like the. Okay our essence of riding uh so if you went on youtube you'd find that and um yeah i'm just doing a kind of a a project at the moment to try to better capture what it's like riding around here like you were saying it's it's so hard to really capture why it's so great to ride around here and so i'm trying to capture it beyond just photographs and stories and really take it to kind of like a more immersive feeling experience the whole
0: bit yeah that's it yeah it's it's so hard to um articulate japan until you've been there really and it's Yeah, Uh, I'm sure it's the same with the cycling and the tours. Is there there anything else that you want to tell people or that people should be aware of before we sign off? Yeah, just to
1: maybe reiterate kind of what you were asking before about the ease of coming here. We do get asked a lot from people that have been to Europe. What's it like to uh, come to Japan? Am I going to be able to eat the food? Is it going to be easy to get around? And for the most part, the eating the food here, it's it's quite normal uh, meal ingredients. They're not kind of going off to the crazy end of things. Uh, they do love to eat anything out of the ocean. But yeah. uh, if you're uh, able to eat, you know, meats, fish and vegetables, you're going to be fine. Yeah, uh, it gets a little bit harder if you are, say, a full vegan. Uh, that is definitely a harder thing here because fish broth kind of finds its way into everything. But if right, you're okay. able to do fish broth, at that point, you're basically good for almost all of Japanese cooking, uh, you know, that doesn't have meat in it, which is a lot. There's a lot of dishes here that are meat-free.
0: That don't, yeah. And and I, and I, I mean, I've traveled there with young kids, and and haven't had a problem at all. And the thing that always surprises me in Japan is just wherever you eat, just the quality is, oh, yeah. is insanely good and the attention to detail and the service and it's amazing
1: yeah i like to think like if the bar in say the u.s or europe is like at one level like japan's is like two levels higher at the bottom most spending level like if you're going to go get the cheapest meal possible in the u.s the cheapest meal in japan here is equal to like your medium priced meal in the u.s
0: yeah and actually that's that's a point worth bringing up i think one of the Mm. misconceptions around japan is that it's astronomically expensive and i think it can be and it's very Mm -hmm. easy to spend a lot of money very. Quickly, but also you can can have a wonderful holiday and really not spend much at all, can't you?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's certainly you know a uh, six seven dollar bowl of ramen that'll fill you up as a big meal is very findable here. Yeah. And then the convenient between the convenience stores, uh, which is another thing we didn't even talk on uh, a little bit on why just cycling here. If you come here cycling, for example, we do like self guided trips where people would just come. We'll give you the routes, we'll give you the bikes, we'll kind of introduce you to the area. Give you a map oh, cool. that kind of an interactive map on your phone that you can like see all of our recommended food stops, all the convenience stores, water stop, and uh, if you come and do one of those, people are always shocked at how easy it is to find. Well, a vending machine—they're everywhere. But also uh, yeah. just a convenience store or a place to top up on food while you're out in what seems like the middle of nowhere.
0: That's so true. It's it is so much easier, and I think even with the sort of writing, even when you get out of the major cities, even with the the language barrier and the, the not being able to read things, a smile and body language can take you so far, can't it?
1: Oh, definitely. And people out in the countryside here are so kind. They really want to help you. So yeah, a good smile and uh, a lot of gesturing. Uh, you learn some really good gestures. Really fast, the first couple days here. (laughs) Um, But they also do a lot of. uh what do you call it? Uh, picture menus are really popular here. So a lot of just yeah, pointing can get you far. Yeah,
0: Excellent, Rob. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us. We look forward yeah. to seeing more of your videos and details up on the hub. Um, and we'll get some up on, on our um, Instagram and YouTube channels as well. If you want to get in touch with Rob, we will make sure that all his contact details and links are in the show notes. And if you have any questions at all, please feel free to give him a call, drop us a line, and, and hopefully we'll get you back on and hopefully we'll get out of lockdown and you'll be back busy touring people around japan again in no time
1: yeah thanks so much for having me today jules i look forward to all that good man excellent
0: all right take care arigato gamas is that right yeah arigato gozaimasu matane see you later (laughs) see you later take care thanks a lot bye bye thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there